All right, let's go ahead and uh, open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We uh, are continuing on in our series, Strangers and Exiles, looking at what it is to be a people of God's own possession, but to live in a world that's not our home. And I, I hope you've been enjoying this and kind of, I hope it's been shaping your mind to understand that as we go out these doors, we are not going to fit in with the world around us, nor should we fit in with the world around us, right? That's the idea of being strangers and exile, exiles called into God's kingdom and out of the kingdom of this world. Um, in, in the previous few sermons, we've talked about suffering, and we're going to continue that theme today. But, but the idea of suffering for doing good, and, but really doing good, wanting to make sure we do good, even, even to those who might persecute us or even to those who might be evil or hurl insults to us, we want to do good. Why? Because it points to Jesus Christ. It points to the glory of God. It points people to him. Whether this life or the next, right? They will either in this life be pointed to Jesus and his glory and repent of their sin and turn to him in faith, or in the next life stand before him with their mouths closed in awe and, and, and wishing they had done things differently, right? It is right for us to do good and even to suffer for doing what is good, and we'll see that more today. But we point others to Christ, and we're, we're reminded, last week we were reminded about Christ's triumphant victory over sin and death. And I'm going to just go back into, into chapter 3 and read verse 18 and verse 22. It said, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but was made alive by the Spirit. And jumping down to verse 22, talking about Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to to him. What we see here in this passage is this reminder of Christ's victory. Christ in the flesh came, on, came and put on flesh, and in the flesh he died for sins, for our sins, not for his sins, for our sins. The righteous one, Jesus, for the unrighteous all, you and I, that would believe. We needed a Savior, and Jesus was that Savior, and he humbled himself and was willing to suffer for doing good. The good was to bring you and I to God. But as he died, he died to, to conquer sin and, and, and Satan and death. And we see that he has had that ultimate victory through the resurrection. He, would, he didn't stay dead, but he was raised from the dead. And in the resurrection of Christ, we see that he is seated at the right hand of God uh, with angels and authorities. And it says, and powers are subject to him. Last week, I left you with this message that we now as Christians, as strangers and exiles, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that you and I now fight this battle in this life, not for the victory, but from victory. That what we know is that Christ has, he has established the victory. He has been the triumphant one. And you and I fight from that victory. And so often we, we beat ourselves up because, oh, I failed. I, I'm worthless. I can't do this. I, I won't be able to make it. I, I, I'm not strong enough. You're right. You're not. All that's true. But Jesus Christ died and he rose from the dead. So he has the authority and his victory is what we apply to our lives. And as we go out, we walk in victory by the power of God's spirit and informed by God's word. That's what strangers and exiles do. So in that power, then it naturally leads us into this week's sermon, uh, living in righteousness. That's what it means to live in righteousness. I walk in God's victory, not, not in the defeat and the hold and the slavery of sin. I walk in the victory of God, living differently, living for him. So we will see what it means to live in righteousness today. And, and as Peter writes this, he is, he is really talking about uh, preparing for battle. Uh, when you think about this, you know, we, we, we kind of take the, uh, the defensive route, like, I'll just, I'll stand defense, I'll guard myself, right? And we see the, the encouragement for that in Scripture. But when, when, 
Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to be the rock. You're gonna, uh, the church is going to build off of you. And what did he say about hell? He said, in the what? The gates of hell won't be able to stop you. What does that, sh- what does that show you? What does that tell us about ourselves and about what we're, what we're waging here? Are we waging a defensive battle? Do we defend against a gate? No, we wage war offensively, taking it. We sack Satan. We plunder Satan. And, and Jesus has made that possible through his death and his resurrection. So you and I are to prepare ourselves for battle. And as we live righteously, we are in the heat of it, fighting from victory. We don't stand quietly by, just, just in defense, waiting. How, how dangerous can that be? Right? We, we wait and we wait and it kind of gets boring. And as we wait and it gets boring, what do we do? We let down our guard. And when we let down our guard, what happens? The enemy flanks us and knocks us on our back. We ought to be on the offense, moving forward from victory, not waiting in defense for Satan to let us let our guard down and attack us. Now, even though he attacks us, we're, we still have victory. Uh, Jesus has the final say and the final victory. But I don't want to live my life for Christ waiting I want to live my life for Christ, actively pushing forward against Satan and against all that God has already won the victory over. That looks interesting, by the way. That should look unique in our jobs. That should look unique in our families. It should look unique in our friendships. It should look unique in our private life. It should look like we are out for battle. And that the war is being waged, and we know the victor, and we want people to know the victor as well. Our talk about Jesus Christ, and Hoyt taught about it a few weeks ago, we should always be ready, in season and out of season, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have within us. We, we must be contenders for the gospel, contending that Jesus is Lord and nothing else is, and, and helping people understand and know him more. Whether they come to faith in Christ is not up to you. What is up to you and what is up to me is that we would obediently press forward and contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. So today we look, like, we look at what, is it, what are the motivations to live in righteousness. I want to pray for us, and then I'll read our text, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's pray. Father, we, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you allowed us to come back and, and worship you together, Lord, as the body of Christ. And God, I, I pray that you would be encouraging all of us in that. And Lord, as we sit under the word of God now, Lord, I pray that you would empty me of me and fill me up with you, that God, your word would be shared today, not mine, God, that we would be humbled before it, we would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message you have for us today. We thank you that we have the word of God. God, help our hearts surrender to it. God, to let go of any other preconceived notions or ideas or ideals that we've held on to. God, we want to repent of sin. We want to turn to you in faith. And we want to walk by faith. So help us to do that as you use your word and your spirit to conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So coming off of Christ had the victory. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what Gentiles choose to do. 
carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. Well, that's our text for today. We're again talking about living in righteousness. And number one is this, uh, as we live in righteousness, we have Christ as our example. That's number one. Christ is our example. We see this in 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Now, that's really important for us to grab, that Christ had a certain understanding. He had a certain purpose in mind, and, and that, that we should go towards him and his example of what he showed. And he suffered for his purpose. He suffered for his sake, his glory, in his understanding. And when I see this in Philippians, and in your notes, I've encouraged you to read more of this passage in your discussion time uh, on the back page. But I want to read one through five here. Philippians, Paul is writing to the believers here uh, in Philippi. He says, if, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, and I really want you to hold on to these first few verses. We tend to go to the la latter verses and really like elevate that, which is huge. But understand these first few verses. If there's any encouragement in Christ, he's like, duh, there's encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, right? if, if those things exist, because of your relationship with Christ, in your relationship to the Word, in your relationship with the, with the brethren. If any of those things exist, he says, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So, so Paul's saying, listen, there's going to be an overflow out of our heart of joy and of purpose, of, of, from the encouragement of Christ and consolation of love, fellowship with the Spirit, from the affections and mercy of Christ, there's this overflow that comes out, and it should cause us then to be intent on one purpose. So listen, as we go through the rest of this passage, if, if you aren't intent on this purpose, it, it, you might need to check the backstory of your life. You might need to check the backstory of your faith, because you may not have any encouragement from Christ, any consolation of love, any affection and mercy. You may not be in a right relationship with Jesus. Because when we're in a right relationship with Jesus, we are intent on this one purpose. And we have to be reminded of it, but we become intent on this one purpose. What is it? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not only look to his own interests, but also, uh, but, I'm sorry, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What's the one purpose? Have the same attitude as Christ. That's the purpose. Serve others first. Put others first. And do so humbly to exalt Jesus Christ. Because that passage goes on and shows what the humility of Christ was. It was that Christ humbled himself and came out of, out of the triune God relationship and came to earth and put on flesh so he could die. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. That's the example we have in Christ. That's the humility we have in Christ. He died. And God exalted him. So if you and I would die to ourselves, we could point to Jesus, and God would exalt Christ in that way. He had a willingness to die, this, this purpose, right? Uh, and Peter is exhorting us that we must prepare ourselves to suffer and potentially die. There are Christians all around the world every day dying for their faith, right? We're like, well, that'll never happen. Maybe, maybe it will. 
Maybe it will come here as well. Maybe we will suffer and die. But whether we literally die or we continue just dying to this world and life, we say, you know, I'm done with this. I don't want anything to do with this. And, and it's hard and it hurts and we suffer for not being a part and people ridicule us. We must still arm ourselves with the same purpose of Christ. And that is out of joy in God, we humble ourselves, even if we suffer, so that Christ might be proclaimed and that Christ might be exalted. Again, he is our example. Jesus said it in Luke 9. He said, uh, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him what? Deny himself. Take up his cross, right? Armed, armed with the cross of Christ. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Well, they, it was literally that they may be executed on a cross like Jesus was to be executed on a cross. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. But what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world? Yet he loses or forfeits his soul. Listen, we can live for the world or we can live for Christ. Jesus says, live for Christ. Deny yourself, live for Christ. And, and he understands, he says it because he knows the struggle is real. That struggle of, of living in humility and in righteousness is real. But we do so out of this joy we have for God. And, and a reverent fear we have for God. We have a joy in God because we had a fear in God. And that fear in God produced in us a repentant faith, right? He says in Matthew 10, Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus said we, we, we put way too much clout, right, in, into people's view of us and into this physical life. He said, don't, don't do that. Fear God. And out of our fear of God, our, we have this reverent, repentant faith. And it makes the victory possible over sin and death and for us to live for Him. Then living in righteousness, we go on in this passage. Uh, it's, it, it's God's will. Number two, it's God's will. I want to go back to that first verse real quick. He says, uh, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Here's what this means. And, and this is just bluntly. You're trying to, like, what does that mean? That's kind of strange. Maybe we'll suffer and, and the sin won't hold us anymore. What it, kind of, yeah. What it means is those who die don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Right? The, the, he's talking about martyred Christians, people who have in the faith been put to death or will be put to death. He's like, listen, they've suffered in the flesh and they die. They're done with, they're done with sin. They're done with sin. Now, there's also, we see in Scripture that, that when we put our faith in Christ, that we are no longer, sin has no longer power over us, but we will still struggle between the flesh and the Spirit all our lives until we suffer in the flesh. Like Jesus suffered in the flesh, right, and died, and we die. We'll be finished with sin. So we go on. Living in righteousness, it's God's will, right? So not only is, this, is it an overflow uh, through Christ's example, but it's God's will. And he goes on here, says, in order to live... The remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Well, in order to, so he said he, he suffered, so arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with the same attitude and purpose of Christ, so that in, in order, you do that, in order to, uh, to live the remaining time no longer in the flesh for human desires, but for God's will. So when we arm ourselves, we say, I, I'm arming myself with a desire to be obedient, with a desire to humble myself and, and to be, be humble before God and follow God in, in righteousness. And we see it in, in 317, an earlier chapter when Hoyt preached. It says, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
See, it's God's will for us to do good. It's God's will for us to even suffer for doing good. It's God's will that we would live righteous. And, and as we do, we entrust ourselves to him. In 1 Peter 4.19, this is coming up in a couple weeks. So then let those who suffer according to God's will, I love this, this word, entrust themselves. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. See, live, living in righteousness means walking by faith and not by impulse. And this faith is in a faithful creator. I, I want to read a passage out of Romans uh, chapter 6. And, and you can turn there. Just, just listen if you want. But I'd encourage you to go look at it later. I, I tried to shorten it, but I, I had to read it all. Romans 6, 1 through 14. Paul is talking about this living by faith and not by impulse and the desire that we have to live because Christ rose and he gave us victory. What does this look like? He says, what should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace might multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him uh, by his baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we, too, may walk in newness of life. There's, there's new life in Christians. We, we didn't come to faith in Christ to continue living our old life. Amen? We came to faith in Christ because He makes all things new. There's new life in Jesus Christ. For if we have been united with Him uh, in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self, here it is, our old self, right? The urges and, and the impulses of the world was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. Victory. We're fighting from victory. It's rendered powerless, so what? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin. Now if, in verse 8, now if. And, and if is so important. We skip it over. It's a little word. If implies not all who believe they have died with Christ have died with Christ. So for you and I, we have to understand that, that our sin has separated us from God. That God has provided a way for us to be in right relationship through Jesus Christ and His atonement on the cross. And that we come to Him not with a magic prayer and, 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 and we're once and done and good. We come to Him in deep, repentant, empty faith as the greatest treasure we could ever possess. We come to him because our righteousness will never do. We come to him because his righteousness is the only thing that matters. And we come to him and we put ourselves in his care. And he wraps us up through our repentant faith in his righteousness. He clothes us that way. That's what a believer is. It's not someone who, oh, one day I was at VBS and I said a prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. Maybe, maybe you didn't. So if, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died one, or died to sin once for all time. So the life he lives, he lives to God. So, comparison here, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we're new. We've been made new, and we identify now with Christ's death and his resurrection, and we will walk in that newness. And then verse 12, 
comes up with the will of God. Therefore, there's a command, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Remember, we're to arm ourselves. Our righteousness is a weapon, and so is our unrighteousness. Don't, don't use it as a weapon for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. We now offer ourselves as instruments, weapons of righteousness. And that's what we arm ourselves. We arm ourselves, right? That's what Peter's exhortation here. Arm yourselves for this battle. Live in righteousness. Live righteously. We saw that number one was it's Christ is our example. Number two was it's God's will. Number three is this. We live in righteousness because we've turned the page. We've turned the page. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times that's so encouraging to me. The season of life I'm in or whatever's going on or the struggle and sin that I'm in, I know that there's a page, like this page in the Bible, that I can, just, I can turn. And through faith, I can walk by faith in newness and I can turn that page. I'm so grateful that, that the old self is now gone and I've turned the page on my old self. Look at this passage back in 1 Peter chapter 4. It kind of explains this here in verses 3 through 5. It says, we're not going to follow, right, in the pre- previous verse, we're not going to follow the way of the world, right? But there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, uh, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So what's he say? There's already been enough time doing that. We've, we've already been there. We, we now, in Christ, in our faith in Christ, he's made us whole, he's made us new, he's wiped our sin away and made us pure and given us his righteousness. We have turned the page from death and now into life. He goes on that these people are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. This passage of scripture here is an encouragement for believers, but it's also a, a, a very vivid warning and a description to the lifestyle of those who reject Christ and reject the power of the gospel, which leads to judgment. It will lead to judgment. Peter reminds believers to to leave all of that behind. We leave all of it behind. Why? Because it belongs in their former life of sin and judgment. It belongs in their life when they were under judgment. We see here that the description is what has been. It's, It's using the past tense and letting us know that that we have turned the page to a new day in a new chapter and we bear fruit now from our relationship with Jesus Christ not fruit from the flesh Ephesians Paul reminds us we were once darkness but we are now light in the Lord walk as children in the light for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness there's our word right and truth testing what is pleasing to the Lord Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. How do we expose it? By doing good. We expose it by doing good, by living righteously. But but the the goal here is that we were once darkness and now we're light. Right? And we've heard that before in Peter. We'll see that in a a few minutes. Why is it so hard to turn the page, though? Why is it so hard to to forget the past? Well, we, we like to hold on to that guilt, don't we? We like to hold on to that shame and we like to hold on to the fact that I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not good enough. Jesus was, so now get, out, get over it. Move forward. 
and stop living in the shame and guilt and remorse of you're not good enough. You're correct, but Jesus was good enough. He's covered you with his righteousness, so you don't have to be good enough. Move forward in newness of life. You are now light in the world. Walk as children of light in the fruit of light. But why is it so hard? I think, I think that, that, sh- that shame and guilt we have is hard. But because sin has become such a normal way of life in this world, everything is acceptable that wasn't before. It's all around us. And that's why it's so hard to turn the page because what was sin and darkness in our life is being portrayed as light and greatness all around the world. Like, well, do I go back to that now that it's good? No, it's not good still. They're treating it as good, but it's not good. We don't do that. When a Christian decides to follow Christ and to live in righteousness, there's going to be persecution that comes. Why? Because people love darkness. Because their deeds are evil. And, and, and when they are doing evil and we are not doing evil, we are standing as the light against the darkness, it makes people uncomfortable. And they label us as bigots or as judgmental. I just want to be labeled as a Christ follower, obedient to Him. So they're not only amazed that your life has changed, like, what changed? Why, why did you change? I, I had a conversation with a gentleman uh, about two weeks ago, and his friend is like, well, you're going to go back to being this Christian thing? Oh, you got to give up all this stuff. He was totally harassing him about it. You're not going to be able to do this anymore and this anymore. And, he, and, and, and the, the gentleman who, who loves Jesus is like, yeah, I don't want to do those anymore. Those aren't good. But the world says they are. And it's like, why aren't you doing that? Why don't you behave that way? It's just normal. Do it. Go for it. One, they want to feel good about doing it themselves, right? They want to have company, right? And two, they feel judgment. They know that it's wrong. But we should not want to participate in them any longer because we've turned the page. But the result of their choices does end in judgment. Peter reminds us that, that those who slander or persecute will eventually have to give an account to, will, who, to the one who will judge the living and the dead. I, I love this verse in Romans. It says that, that every mouth may be shut, and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. Everyone who wants to live for themselves and live in sin will eventually stand before God with, with nothing to say. And He will judge them righteously, justly, because He is holy. But for you and I, as we stand before God in faith, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've turned the page. So listen, we don't have to condemn ourselves. Jesus has, has offered forgiveness and he doesn't condemn us. Right? When we put our faith in him, it's done. It's over. Turn the page. So application, turn the page. Stop living in the past. Stop holding on to the past. Turn the page. Again, the exhortation from 1 Peter. This is kind of our theme passage. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And here's the crux. Turn the page. You were once not a people, but now you're God's people. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, turn the page. Turn the page. Live for righteousness. Number four. As we live in righteousness, we have to understand this. Our identity in Christ brings us security. Our identity in Christ brings us security. 
identity is a huge thing, and we need to understand this. We, we try to, to, to make an identity for ourselves, and we try to find security through that identity. And it usually stems around what makes us comfortable, and it stems around what makes us confident, what we're really good at, that's, and, and, and who might like us, who might like, encourage us. So that becomes our identity. But listen, every single thing in this world can and will at some point be stripped away. And if you have placed, and if I have placed my identity in someone or something other than Jesus Christ, that identity will be stripped away. So I ought to exchange that today and, and, and realize that as a Christ follower, as a stranger and exile, my identity is not in this world. My identity is not in the pleasures of this world or the sin that, I, that I'm entangled in. My identity is not even in my former self and my former sin. My identity is now rooted in Christ Jesus through the power of His Spirit and the power of His resurrection. Amen? That's where our identity is. First Peter 4, 6, he goes on. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. Again, one of those things like, wait, what's he talking about? He's saying, listen, I'm preaching the gospel to you. I'm writing this letter to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Come to faith in Christ. But what he is saying is that it's not the first time it's been preached. The power of God has been effective since before Peter wrote this epistle. And he's saying the, the gospel had also been preached to those who are now dead. But it was preached to them when they were what? Alive. And they believed the gospel. And although they suffered in the flesh and they were judged in the flesh according to human standards, what does that mean they, that happened to them? They were persecuted and killed. They were martyred for the faith. They, they, gave, they gave, gave their whole life like Jesus gave his life. But the gospel had been preached to them, and they believed in Jesus, and they hoped in Jesus, and, and they hoped in his resurrection. So what does it say? They lived, although they, were, they died because they believed, they lived in the Spirit according to God's standards. Why? Because their identity was secure in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, it says, We do not give up. You see, when, we, when persecution comes, when, when our, our body's like in, at danger, we're like, oh, I don't know, I'm going to give up, I'm going to stop, I'm going to be passive again. No, we don't give up, we fight from victory. The worst thing that someone could do to you is to take your body. But Jesus, through faith in Him, has secured your soul. The worst thing that can happen is like, my physical body can die. And I'll be at home with Jesus. Doesn't sound so bad. We don't give up. Although the outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction, they call it light, and he's talking to martyrs, people who are suffering death. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight in glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Amen? It's eternal. Our identity in Christ is for eternity. Your identity in your stuff or your garbage or your baggage or your husband or your wife or your friend or your dad or your mom, that identity is temporal. It will fade away and be destroyed. An identity in Christ is eternal and it is secure. That is where we need to root our identity. And when we root our identity there, we live in righteousness. My final passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ compels us. 
Right? Again, this, this joy of Christ, this love of Christ, this fellowship with this, the Spirit, as Paul was saying earlier, it compels us since we have reached this conclusion. Why does it compel us? Here's the conclusion. That one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. We should live for him. He, he died for us. We live for him. We're compelled by his love and by his grace and by his mercy. We're compelled that, that he rose from the dead to give us victory over death ourselves, that our identity is in him. And that passage goes on. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. We live in righteousness because we have been made new. We live in righteousness because our identity and security is in Christ and not in this world. This is the one that has done everything for us. And, and, and we are in Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are now in Christ. This is who we are. And this is whose we are. And His love should compel us now to live in righteousness. Not for ourselves, but to live for Him who died and was risen again to give us the victory. Amen? Let's stand together as we Continue our worship time. Pray with me if you would. Father, we, we love you and we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, it is our desire, God, to have more of you direct our lives. God, have all of you direct our lives. So God, help us to submit and surrender to you. And, and God, help us to know that we're fighting from victory, not for victory. We're fighting from victory. As we fight from victory, we, we live in righteousness. Not like the, we don't live like the world lives. And in, in our former life, we've turned the page on that. Lord, help us to turn that page every day, to turn the page and know that we're on a different page. That that page is, is being found in Christ. Not with our own righteousness, but with His. Because we have come to Him in faith and trusted in His death and His resurrection to be our victory. So we thank You for that. Lord, as we continue to, to pray, as we continue to sing, God, I pray this time would be a, a time of movement in our heart, a movement in our soul, from ourselves, from this world, and closer to you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.